Well, we're continuing in the series on the Ten Commandments, and, uh, and we're looking at this, and we're seeing each week, I mean, we have these commandments that we know that we, at least we think we know, and, and I don't know about you, but for me, I find out each week that, that I think I know it more than I may know it. And, uh, and there are things in each week that it just challenged my perspective, that challenged my thinking. And, um, and I tell you, this week we're coming to a commandment that, that may seem really simple, but at least for me, it's incredibly challenging. It's one that, you know, that I think that I realize I haven't thought through nearly as much as I should. And that's the Sabbath, this uh, commandment about the Sabbath, remembering the Sabbath, and the fourth commandment. And so we're going to start off by reading from Exodus chapter 20, where we, are, we have the, the giving of that commandment. So if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn with us to Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, and, uh, and keep it open, because we're going to continue to come back to this passage for our time this morning. But let me begin by reading this commandment from Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. May God bless the reading of his word. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege that we have to come together this morning. Father, to be able to dive into this great truth. I thank you for the way that you're challenging me and teaching me. And I pray now that you would speak through me and in spite of me, Father, to, to communicate your, your message on this important issue. Father, each one of us, it's an issue we don't think a lot about, but yet, you say it's important. And Father, I pray your blessing now in our time, our discussion, that we would hear your heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I find it interesting that as we're studying the Ten Commandments, we come to the Fourth Commandment and the Commandment on the Sabbath right in the middle of the uh, Summer Olympics. Now, you might think there's no relation there, but, but here's the connection. Uh, probably the most widely reported, most significant controversy about the Sabbath in the past 100 years was something that happened almost 100 years ago at a Summer Olympics. It was something that, that actually became an international incident. Uh, it's a story that some of you may know in large part because it also then, over 50 years later, was made into a movie that became an Academy Award winner. The movie was called Chariots of Fire. 1981, it won a number of Academy Award win, or Awards, including that for Best Picture. And, and it was based on a story, a true story, from the 1924 Olympic Games. And, uh, and specifically around the two great sprinters from Great Britain that year, a guy named Eric Little and another one named Harold Abrahams. And they were the two, uh, the two great sprinters. They were the two greatest sprinters in the world. And the, you know, the two guys that were supposed to be competing for the, the record for the 100-yard dash. Now, Eric Little was a guy that was known for his speed. He became uh, known as the Flying Scotsman. And, and he was, gained recognition throughout England as the guy that was most likely the favorite to win the Olympic gold medal. And in the time leading up to the Olympic Games, because of his fame, he actually went on speaking tours and would speak very openly because he's a very devout Christian, and he used that opportunity of, of his name recognition to be able to speak about his faith. The controversy erupted in a couple weeks before the Olympics 
because they, he was, again, running the 100-yard dash, and, and as you know, even now, if you were running these dash, you know, you'd have like maybe hundreds of runners that will originally, um, you know, be, um, uh, you know, be eligible to run in the race, and you have all these preliminary heats, and so you have different heats, and the, you know, the top two or three runners go on to the next level, and finally you get to the finals. Well, a couple weeks prior to the Olympic Games, the schedule was put out, and they found out that the first round of preliminary heats for the 100-meter dash was going to be on a Sunday. And Eric Little was a very devout Christian who believed very strongly that the Sunday was the Lord's Day, it was the Sabbath. And it would be against his convictions to be able to run on the Lord's Day. So he went to the uh, London Olympic Committee and he told them that, that he was not gonna run. And this created an uproar, not only, not, only in his, or not only in his own country, but it was literally reported throughout the world. And how in the world could the gold medal favorite for the primary race, the biggest race in the Olympics, withdraw because he felt it was wrong to run on Sundays. And, and he was pressured not only by the media, uh, he was pressured by, uh, even by his own, the Crown Prince of England. And people questioned his patriotism, they questioned his sportsmanship. In fact, the movie at one point depicts the scene where the Crown Prince called in Little for a meeting. And uh, at, at the meeting, the Crown Prince said, come on, Little, for the sake of your king and for the sake of the country, put aside these silly little ideas about, about the Sabbath and the Lord's Day. And he replied, I would never set aside anything for, uh, aside my king and country, save that there was a higher power, a higher authority, one who sets up kings and one who brings down kings. I will not run. He didn't change his mind. He refused to run. And again, this was something that made you know, international headlines. Actually, in reality, then, his teammate, the other favorite, Harold, uh, Harold Abrahams, he actually then won the 100-meter race. But Little had also qualified for the 400-meter race. He had qualified, but he was by no means considered a favorite. He was seen as a sprinter that didn't have the endurance to be able to last 400 meters. But somehow he had made it through uh, the various heats and then qualified for the finals. And in the morning of the finals, he said that somebody had came to him and handed him a folded piece of paper. He wasn't even sure who it was. He didn't open it right away, and then he opened it a few minutes later, and it, and it simply read this. He said, in the old book it says, he who honors me, I will honor, wishing you the best success always. And he said that he was inspired by that Bible verse, and, and as such, he ran the whole sprint, literally, or whole race as a sprint, 400 meters, and somehow not only finished, God gave him the strength, and he, but he set a new world record. Not only won the race, but again, set a world record. Now, it's a great story. And, uh, but even if you know the story, it's not just about his decision not to run on Sunday. That actually was revealing something bigger. It was, it was really more about these two men, this contrast between Abrahams and Little and, and what motivated them, what drove them. And that's the bigger story. But even when you take this piece of it, what was really interesting with it is that Christians loved the movie at that time especially. They, you know, they would go to, go to it as groups. Churches would rent it and show it. You know, this was before you had videotapes. And I mean, they would actually rent it and show it as a movie theater. And they loved it. And they talked about what great conviction. But what was really interesting at the same time as they celebrated that, few of those Christians who loved the movie or few of those churches that celebrated it were necessarily teaching that view of the Sabbath. 
They weren't teaching this idea that you, know, you shouldn't do anything on the Sabbath and that running was wrong. And, and, and few of them, if they had that same opportunity as little, would have, would have given up the opportunity to run for a gold medal because, because it was on a Sunday race. And, and so really the question we look at that is, what does the teaching of the Sabbath teach? What, it, what does it mean? It, is it right that we shouldn't run a race? Give up the, should we give up the opportunity to get a gold medal because the race is on Sunday? Or even something more basic. Should we play golf on Sunday or go to a kid's soccer tournament on Sunday? And what is it teaching? We've been looking at the Ten Commandments and we're seeking not only to understand what they mean, but how to apply to our lives. And this one, again, seems to be very basic. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But even as we look at this, it's basic, but do we pay a lot of attention to it? Have you ever thought about it? Sometimes we could think it's not very important, but if you look at the whole of the Ten Commandments, you realize that there are more words that God spent more time explaining this one commandment, what it means and how to apply it. There's more words on this commandment than any of the other commandments. Some of them are very short. You know, thou shalt not kill. That's it. Go on. This one, it has three long verses or four long verses. And so clearly, something's telling us that God takes us seriously. But even if we go beyond that, we see it as part of the Ten Commandments, what we've seen in the Ten Commandments is these commandments are, are principles. And if we see them as a whole, we've got to remember, okay, before God got to thou shall not murder or thou shall not commit adultery or don't steal, before he got to any of those, he gave us this one. This one predates those. And so again, that suggests they're really important. They're principles. They're not just more rules. We can look at it, and we're going to see that one of the dangers is seeing it as a rule, but it's an overarching principle. That's one of the ideas that we've been talking about throughout this series, is that if we look at the Ten Commandments, it's, it's easy to see them just as rules. But if we see them as moral rules, they are that, but they're more than that. If we see them as moral rules, then what we're going to tend to do is we're going to tend to look at the behavior. What are we allowed to do on the Sabbath? What are we not allowed to do? Are we doing the right thing? Are we keeping the rule? But God isn't concerned as much with our behavior as he is with our heart. So I can do the right, right things and still have the wrong heart. If I have the right heart, then I'm going to do the right things. And God is concerned not only with what we do, he's more concerned with who we are, our character. And it's also a principle in that it's teaching us something, a truth about life, a truth about how we're to view our world. And so that's why in the series we're talking about in using this illustration of Jenga. You know, that you look at it and say, in the game Jenga, you know, you have certain, especially early on, blocks that you can take out. you got to be careful. And, and, and the tower may fall. But as the game gets played, you have blocks like this that now become foundational. And if I take out this block or if I take out this block, everything's going to fall because the weight of the tower rests upon it. And the idea is that in the Ten Commandments, they're God's foundational truths. They're the ones that everything rests upon. And they're foundational truths so that God is teaching us if you forget or break these things, then in your life or in your culture, it's all going to fall apart. If you remember and keep these, then they're going to be foundational truths that are going to help you build a life that works, a culture that, that works and that is functional. So, okay, we, we see, okay, this is the whole idea. But then how do we take this specific commandment and how do we see this one as foundational for our lives? In fact, there are some believers that will look at it and say, well, I don't think this one's different than the other Ten Commandments. I don't think it applies to us. And they point to the fact that 
that it's actually never repeated explicitly in the New Testament. So their argument would be, because it's not repeated in the New Testament, it's only given to us in the Old Testament and in the law, well, it's Old Testament law, and as followers of Christ in the New Testament period, it doesn't really apply to us. Well, what we're going to see is that, yeah, it isn't repeated explicitly in the New Testament. I would say it doesn't need to be. Uh, But beyond that, it's, it's not just about our Old Testament law. In the giving of it, God is really clear that this is something that is a truth, a foundational truth that's literally rooted in creation itself. If you have your Bibles, let me show you this in Exodus 20. It begins again in verse 8, the commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then in verse 11, God then explains to us something about the source of the day's significance and meaning. Look what he says. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, I want you to see what he's teaching us. At the creation of the world, God established a week as a foundational period of time for us to function as a culture. He set a seven-day week, and he said, okay, in the seven-day week, I want to set aside one day as significant, one day that's apart from everything else. And, And when was this day set apart? Was it in the giving of the Old Testament law? Was even when Moses is up there in the Mount Sinai, did God say, okay, I have a new command to you that I'm going to give you as part of this law? No, God's very clear. This isn't a new command. This is a repeating of an old command. This command goes all the way back to creation. To before, you know, to, to, you know when Adam and Eve were first created, it predates all that. And so we can look at this, and some people would say, well, it's not repeated in the Old Testament. Well, it's not, but since it's rooted in creation itself, it's a truth that is rooted there. It applies to us until creation passes away. I mean, this is a transcendent truth. Now, some people will say, well, wait a second, but doesn't the New Testament teach us that every day is a day under the Word? Well, doesn't that seem to suggest that, you know, that the Sabbath isn't special? Okay, well, let's look at that. The Bible does teach that, Romans 14 uh, Colossians 2, it teaches that every day is, is unto the Lord. But think about what that means. What it's teaching is that we ought to serve God every day, that we ought to make God a priority every day, that we ought to find time with God every day, that every day God should be our priority. Now, what he was addressing was this said, you know, perspective that some people had to say, well, I need to honor God on the Sabbath, and then, and then the rest of the days, those are not God's days. And he's saying, no, every day is special. Every day is God's day. But what he's doing, and what this is significant to realize, is he's saying that we need to put God in this proper place the other six days as well. And what that's doing is it's making more sacred all the other days. It's taking the sacredness of the Sabbath and saying, this should bleed over so that you still make God special, that you have time with God every day, not just on Sunday. But it doesn't take anything away from the Sabbath. It in no way belittles or or makes smaller the significance of what the Sabbath is and what it means to celebrate that. So again, now soon we have to say, okay, how is this foundational? Well, here's what I want you to see. It's foundational actually in one way that's very, very unique. And that is, as we understand it as part of the the whole Ten Commandments, it actually is, 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 is linked to the first four in the sense that it actually is somewhat of a summation of the first four. When, if, if, you know, when, when God gave uh, Moses the Ten Commandments, 
we read that, that he gave them to him on two tablets of stone. Now, you know, when you see these tablets, often you have one through five on one tablet, six through ten on the other. Most biblical scholars agree that's not what happened. Most agree that the first tablet was one through four, because the first four commandments are all about our relationship with God. The second tablet is, is five through ten, the last six commandments, because they're all focused on our relationship with each other, the moral principles of how we relate to each other. Now, if you look at the second tablet, the last six, we're going to come back and study this in the fall time. And what we're going to see is when we get to the last commandment, number 10, it's thou shall not covet. And again, when people study this, what we agree on is that generally that last commandment is a summation of the whole second tablet. And here's why. is when you think about the whole commandment not to covet. Okay, all the commandments, God is saying, if you got that one down right, if you have that one down in a, in a correct way, then you're not going to be tempted to break any other commandments because all the other commandments are somehow based on a discontentment with what, God, what we have, with what God has provided. All of them are based on, on coveting. If I'm really thankful for God's provision, if I really am thankful for what God has given me, if I have no coveting heart within me, what am I tempted to do? What sin am I tempted to commit? You see, so in some ways it sums up the whole last six. Okay, now let's go back to the fourth. How does that sum up the first four? Well, here's why. Let me point something out. Again, look at the commandments. One thing that's different about the fourth is it's the only one that's positive. All the other commandments are thou shalt not. Here's what you shouldn't do. And only the fourth commandment is the only one that says you shall. All the other ones, you shall not. The fourth commandment is you shall remember the Sabbath. And here's, what he, what, here's the key of understanding this. He's telling us we should remember the Sabbath because that's how we keep from breaking the first three. If you want to understand how to defend yourself against the first three, if you remember the Sabbath, that's the best defense. Now here, let me show you how. What's the first commandment? Have no other gods before me. Okay, we saw that it's not just the little statues, but there are things in our life, things that we prioritize over God. Now, a lot of people say, do you want to see somebody's God? Show me your checkbook, show me your schedule, and I will show you what you love the most. I will show you what is your functional God. And there's a lot of truth to that. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, when it comes to schedule time specifically, what it means is that we will naturally want to give our time to the things that we love the most. That's natural. Of course we want to do that. And here's what the fourth commandment tells us. Okay, it tells us that we, at one day a week, we need to make the decision to put aside the things in the world that we would naturally choose to pursue through the week. The things that we love, the things that give us meaning. And we need to put that aside, the things that, the things that would compete for our place, for God in our heart, we need to put it aside and put God first that one day. And if we, it's, it's a sacrifice, it's hard. But it's not just about work. You see, it's about things that would compete for, for loyalty before God, compete for our affection. And if we do that, what's happening is we're putting God first. What's one way to make sure that we have no other gods before you? We'll have this discipline of making sure that God is first. Make sure that you do that each Sunday. And you're going to battle against things that you don't want to let go of, and that's, that's battling against other gods. Because it helps keep us the first commandment. Second commandment. You shall not make me into a graven image. It means that we believe the right things about God. 
It's not that we make an image of a, a, another God, it's that we make God into an image, oftentimes a mental image. We believe the wrong things. So how do we defend ourselves against that? He says, okay, one day a week on Sabbath, I want you to set aside this time, and part of that is I want you to study the word. I want you to be a part of a community of God's people where you're taught, and I want you to go deep into your, in your knowledge of who I am, because if you, that one day a week, spend time really reflecting on who I am, that's gonna be a great defense for keeping you from believing wrong things about me. So if you keep the Sabbath, it's gonna help you protect you against the second commandment. How about the third commandment? Well, we saw last week, it's don't take God's name in vain. And when, for those that were here last week, we realized that it's not just saying don't use my name as a cuss word, but it's meaning much more than that. Don't speak of God in an empty way, in a worthless way, in a meaningless way. You could say don't make light of God. How do we offend against that? Well, God's saying, okay, in keeping the Sabbath, what you're gonna do is one day a week, you're gonna set aside the other things that would grab your attention and the other things that, that would, are heavy in your life that gravitate, you gravitate towards. And I want you to set them aside and I want you to make God the center. I want you to make him the heaviest, most significant thing in your life on that one day. Because if you, on that one day, make God the center of your life, if you make him at the, at the most substantial thing, then what that's going to help you do is it's going to help keep you from taking him lightly throughout the rest of the week. Now, do you see how this works? I mean, this is something foundational, and we're going to see in other ways even some more next week, but you see it's foundational in helping us understand that we have a right relationship with God. It, it literally is a foundation that helps us understand all the other commandments. And when we understand this, we realize that it's something that is at the core, like all the principles, is dealing with our heart. It's not only dealing with, it's revealing something. And here's the problem is a lot of times when we take the commandments, we want to make them about external conformity. And this is probably one of the ones that we are most likely to do that. Now, people will often, again, look to Jesus and say, well, he's always criticizing the you know, Pharisees for the Sabbath. And, well, he wasn't against keeping the Sabbath. What he's looking at is the Pharisees were about rules. They weren't at all about the heart. They were saying, are you keeping the rules? Are you doing this? You can only walk so far. You can only carry so much weight. You can... And he was saying, you're totally missing the heart issue because you're just focusing on rules. You know, what I find is when a lot of Christians, if they start thinking about the, the fourth commandment, right away we say, okay, what are the rules? What am I allowed to do? What am I not allowed to do? You know, am I allowed to run a race on Sunday? Was Eric Little right that, uh, that, that even running would be breaking the Sabbath? Am I allowed to do sports on Sunday? Am I, well, I know it says not to work on the Sabbath. Well, what's work? You know, is homework work? Is yard work work? And what kind of work am I allowed to do? Um, some people teach you, you should be in church all day and we should have evening services and you should do only spiritual things. And, or even a simple debate is, is, what about food? I mean, many of us know Chick-fil-A. Uh, you know, they, they are known for being closed on Sunday because their founder said, I want to honor the Sabbath. I want to give Sunday as a day of rest for my employees. You know, it's funny. I saw an interview with him one day and they asked about what he does Sunday, and he says, well, I go to church, and then I take my family out to eat. I'm like, wait a second, you're closed, but you're going to somewhere else? And, and, and he says, well, I want to give my, break, my, you know, my wife, my family a break. And, and so I hear debates. Some people will say, as Christians, you know, says, well, we shouldn't go out to eat because it's causing someone else to work. 
And I know other people say, no, you know, Sunday to be a true Sabbath, we should take our family out to eat and avoid preparing a meal. And my wife says, amen. She agrees with that one. She's all for that. You know, that's the Sabbath. And I even had a friend of mine that said, well, I'm struggling with this. He came up with the conclusion. He said, we should go out to eat to a Jewish restaurant or a Chinese restaurant because they don't have a Sunday Sabbath. And so then you're, you're, not, you're not causing anyone offense. And so how do we do that? See, we've got to realize that we can debate, and we should struggle with some of these questions. But if we get caught up in the specifics, we can get caught up in the rules. And, and, and in this, we have to say, what, what is God calling us to? Here, so the real question I want to ask this is, when's the last time you really thought about the Sabbath? When's the last time that you really looked at this and said, God is calling me to set a time a day? And have really struggled with what that means. And I'm not going to tell you that you have to come to all the same conclusions I do. But I will say is that if you're not struggling with that, then you're missing something in the heart of God. Because God takes this very seriously, and he calls us to take this very seriously. So how do we understand it? Well, let me look at some aspects of just breaking down this commandment. And, and I'll tell you, the first thing that we need to point out is probably not something that you would expect me to point out, but it's there. Look at the commandment again, Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Now I'm going to stop there. I want you to realize that the first thing that it teaches is it teaches us about the importance and sacredness of work. Before it tells us to take something off, it embedded in this command is this teaching that work is a good and God-ordained thing. It's not telling us take a break from work because work is this evil thing and get away from the bad for one day a week and focus on the good and the spiritual. No, work is good. You know, actually, if you study historically some in the Catholic Church in the past, you ever wonder where monasteries come from? That was based on a theology that some people had this idea that, that work is bad. And the most spiritual thing we can do is totally disengage from the world, not work, not be involved at all, and just go away and pray and escape all the time. And so the monks were considered the most spiritual of people. My friends, that's not based on a good understanding of biblical teaching. You see, it's not that we have this faith that withdraws from the world, but that we have a faith that we withdraw on Sunday to bring it back into the world. And even if we understand our work, the fact of the matter is that work isn't bad. It's something that God ordained as sacred. Now, a lot of people will say, well, no, we work because of the, of the curse. Actually, no, look at Genesis 2, before the curse, before the fall. Look what happened, Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. God gave us work before the fall. That work is part of God's blessing, God's created design. And the people say, well, yeah, but then, then we had the fall, and then work got cursed. No, again, look at Genesis 3. And what you find is that God doesn't curse work. God curses the ground. He curses the environment of work. So work is something that is still good and that is sacred. But now because the ground is, we have thorns and thistles and the sweat of our brow. We have difficult people we have to work with. We have, you know, we have deadlines. We have things that make work miserable at times. But it's still a good God-ordained thing. Now, in that, some people would say, well, that's true for like ministry. Because you have work, and, and if you're involved in some kind of ministry, well, that's, that's more sacred. 
And a lot of people believe that, and I will show you simply by language, right? If I say, here's somebody who's in the Lord's work, who do you think of? Yeah, pastor, missionary, someone working at church. So I'm doing the Lord's work, and what does that mean about your work? Well, it's something short than the Lord's work. That's not biblical. That's not at all biblical. What you've got to realize is that, no, all work, if, it is, if it's something that contributes to our culture in any way, it's something that is the Lord's work. It's sacred. You want me to show you? All right? Our Lord Jesus Christ, he's the Lord, right? He spent the last three years of his life in professional ministry, traveling and preaching. What did he do in the 17 years from the time he was 13 to 30? He was a carpenter. What was the Lord's work? Carpentry, building things. Now, was that as sacred before the Father, is his ministry? You know, was it, well, I'm just doing makeshift stuff here, and now I'm going to, now I'm going to you know, use my divinity and do something honoring. No, my friends, is that he was doing what was sacred before, and he's telling us something about the nature of all of our calling, all of what we do. We are called to serve God. Our work is honorable. It is good. It is something that is God's work. Now, here's the problem, though, is that we can err on two sides when we look at work. On the one hand, we can devalue it, and we see it as a necessary evil. And you even see this going now in political discussion. So you have a political party talking about, well, we should have basic universal income so that we're going to pay people not to work. That's, that's unbiblical. That's wrong. That goes against human nature. Or even ideas when you talk about what is retirement. My friends, if, you're, if you retire, you retire from the job that you get paid for, but you're still called to work and contribute because God called us to be contributors. God called us to be people that put value in our work. So that goes against the culture. But on the other hand, what happens is that I can put too little value, and on the other hand, I can put too much value. And so some of us have the problem, we, we put too much value in our work. We see our identity in our work, and we're always trying to get ahead, and we're trying to build our business. And, and what happens is we can take this good thing, and we make it a God thing, and any time we make a good thing a God thing, it becomes a destructive thing. And so the Sabbath calls us to value work properly. On the one hand, no, work six days. See it as something that God has called, but on the other hand, don't put too much value because it teaches us to then rest from work. It calls us to, to work, but to lay aside work for that day. Not only work, but anything that is important to us, anything else that we pursue apart from God. And why is he doing that? He's saying, I've built you for rest, and I want you to realize that part of it is having faith in me. And I'm going to build into your schedule. I'm going to build into creation from the very beginning, the schedule of seven days. And I want you to take at least one day where you rest, where you're not producing, where you're not building, where you're not, you're not trying to make success. Why? Because I want you to remember that all success is from me. I don't want you to get confused and think, well, I'm working harder than everyone else. And because I'm working harder, well, that's why I'm succeeding. Again, look at what he says. Look at verse 10. On it you shall, you know, you say, you know, you know, how big of a deal? On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, the sojourner within your gates. Because some of us might think, well, I won't work, but I'll have my employees work. I'll do. And he says, no, I want you to, you know, some Jews. He says, well, I have somebody that's not Jewish. I'll have him go and work. He says, no, if you have a foreigner, don't work. Even your animals shouldn't work. Why? Part of the reason is that, you know, if I've got a business and I've got other people working, Part of me is there. Part of my mind is there. I'm worried about it. 
You see, but part of that too is that I'm sitting there and saying, I need to do this to be able to build my career. I need to be able to do this to build my business. And God says, no, I don't want anybody. I don't even want your animals doing work. I don't want you to be thinking that I'm working harder to get ahead and this is the cause of my success. I want you to realize that at the end of the day, I'm the one who created everything. I'm the one who has given you what you have and I want you to rest and to remember your need to depend on me. Have you ever thought about this? I don't know about you. This is, out of the commandments, this is the one that I'm struggling with. This is what I struggle with significantly. And, and it doesn't make sense. You look at it and you say, God gives us this command and you say, you shall take a day of rest. Why would that be hard? Why do we struggle with this idea of resting? Why is that so difficult? So I'll tell you, even as I look in my own life, I would like to think, well, I'm hardworking and I have good work ethic and I do. You know what, in reality, part of it is for me, I have a hard time, really, at the end of the day, having enough faith and trust in God. I have, enough, I have a hard time saying, if I turn it off here and if I don't, if I just turn it off and say, this is, I've worked the time that I have, well, there's gaps and I don't trust God to fill the gaps. And so part of me thinks that I have to keep working harder and harder to make things work, and it's ultimately really a lack of faith and trust. God's exposing that in me. It's not pleasant, but it's something that I need to learn. And again, part of what he's doing to bring us back to is remember creation. Verse 11, in six days the Lord made everything in heaven and earth and the sea that is all them, and he rested on the seventh day. Now, why did God rest on the seventh day? Was he tired? Was it like, man, I made everything. I'm really worn out. Now, how did he make it? He spoke. It wasn't like very hard for him. He didn't break a sweat. He rested not because he needed it, because we needed it, because he's teaching us something. And he's setting up this truth, not only of the need to rest, but when he's putting it into creation, what he's saying is, remember, everything is from me. And so if you're saying, I need to do this, I need to accomplish it, okay, why do you have the power that you have? Why do you have the health? Why do you have the abilities? Why do you have all those things? Why do you have jobs? Why do you have food to eat? I made it. I'm the source of all that. And I've called you to, be, to work, to do part of it, but I'm also calling you to rest to realize that it's not all, not all about you. I'm calling you to not manage the leverage of all that you can do and everything that you'd accomplish, but do everything that you can within six days and then rest and let me fill the gaps. It's a day of remembrance a day to remember that we could, Jesus, God made everything and we could be working harder and we could be making more and we could be competing more and remember as important as that prosperity might be or that success might be or as much value that we find in our work that you know, God is our source, God is our provider. And God is trying to force us into the structure that calls us, that will cause us to fear falling behind. But I could be doing this. And he's saying, no, this is going to be countercultural. And it's countercultural to our culture. It was in their culture in a different way. That's why it's a command. If it was a command, God wouldn't have to tell us to do it. We would think it would be easy. But it's a foundational principle that he wants us to understand, to live out. Now, it not only calls us to rest, to rest from work, but I want to show you one more thing that it shows, which is really significant, is it teaches us to rest from work but then also to rest unto the Lord. Look at the command again, verse eight. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's not just remember the Sabbath day, it's a holy day, it's a set apart day, set apart not only from, but to. 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, not from work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It is a Sabbath that we're not only to set apart from work to disengage from the things that would distract us, but the main purpose is that we rest from one thing to be able to rest to another thing, to disengage from all the things that would distract us so that we can engage with God. Now, in the very beginning, you saw that Danny had made this little video that kind of uh, with a metronome, and this, this old metronome. And, and the idea is that even if we think about life, you know, life has a pace, a healthy pace. But we live in America, and we generally don't run by this pace. And so what happens is that we go through life, we go through a week, and, you know, we have work schedules and demands, and, and, and this schedule and this schedule, and we're going from one thing to another, and we're driving, and we're freaked out about being late. And, and then not only that, but then we go beyond in our free time, we're, we're engaging in our, in, our, in our smartphones, and we're listening to things and watching things. Every free moment's taken. And, and not only that, but then we, have, we come home, and we have the demands at home, and we have kids that have things, always calling for attention. Things need to be fixed. And we go through life just day after day. And suddenly, we go from this healthy pace to this helter-skelter in, in existence. And we get stressed out, and we're unhealthy, and we have all these physical problems. And God's saying, no, I want you to stop. And what is the Sabbath? It's not just to stop, but it's a day that we rest, and we move back to the pace that we're supposed to have. That's what the Sabbath is. The purpose of the Sabbath is to disengage, to re-engage with God. And what we're going to find is that if we understand the Sabbath, and we're going to introduce this, and we're going to really get into it more next week, but if you really understand the Sabbath, it's not only what we do on Sunday, but it's learning things that we would do on Sunday that connect to the blessings that God has for us, and then learning to bring those blessings in through the rest of the week. So it's not only that our Sunday pace is more like this, but it helps us slow down. I mean, through the week, it might speed up a little bit, but then we say, okay, back to Sunday, slow back down again, get back to normal. We become healthier people. It, it changes the way that we function. But we have to realize that it's not just about disengaging from work. We have to see it's a Sabbath under the Lord. The ultimate goal isn't disengagement, but engagement. The ultimate goal isn't just that we disengage from work, it's that we engage and we disengage to engage that we walk away from distraction. And that's what we're going to see is that it's not just work then. Because if the ultimate goal is that we engage with God, well, what are all the things throughout week, the other gods that we would have that would call our attention, that, that we can, I can be involved in, again, I can, I've got my iPhone, I've got this, I've got, I've, you know, I've got all these things that are, that are speeding me up, that are distracting me, that are keeping me from engaging of God. And what God's calling us to is to say, slow down and rest. And here, if we understand this, again, it will change not only our Sundays, it will change the rest of our lives. But even when you think about what Sabbath is about, what do we do on Sunday? See, it's really asking us a question of revealing our heart. See, what do you think you need the most? Is it just, oh, if I got enough sleep, I would be good. If I just took a day from rest, if I just had it, you know. What do you need the most? What's going to restore your soul the most? What's the deepest need of your soul? I want you to realize as we think through Sabbath, 
What you do on the Sabbath, what you do on Sunday reveals what you believe to be our, your soul's deepest need. Because that's the day that we're disconnecting. I need to disconnect and I need to connect to what, what, what's going to restore me, what's going to restore the true nature of my heart. And we're going to struggle with this this next week and we're going to look deeper next week. But, but before I do, let me go back to where we started. And that was the story of, of Eric Little and the 1924 Olympics and Chariots of Fire. And, and as I told you, it wasn't just about his decision to walk away from the 100-meter dash and, and to walk away from a possible gold medal. That was part of the story, but it illustrated something deeper. See, the story was really about a contrast between Eric Little and, and Harold Abrams. And, uh, you know, both were extremely fast and uh, both trained uh, extremely hard. They were considered the two greatest runners of the, that year. They were the two favorites. Now, the contrast was this. They were driven by totally different things. They were both totally driven, but by different value systems. The Harold Abrahams, the most important thing was the gold medal. And it was shown by the way that he, you know, he hired different people and what he did, and, and it drove him. It's what defined him. Now, on the other hand, you had Eric Little. And Derek Little was incredibly important. It was important. He trained just as hard. But the fact is, is that while it was important, it was secondary to his faith in God. And that was the, what was demonstrated. When you look at him giving up that chance to run and earn that gold medal for the Sabbath, what is he saying? This is really important to me, but my relationship to God is even more important. To him, when he was faced with a choice of, okay, I'm going to win a gold medal or I'm going to keep my integrity and honor in God, that's an easy choice. See, what he did in stepping aside and honoring the Sabbath, even at the expense of a gold medal, revealed what he believed to be his soul's greatest need. And the most thought-provoking contrast in the movie isn't in that moment where he walked away. It's in seeing in the contrast with both men won gold medals. Abraham's in the 100, Little in the 400. And you see this is true to the story, that in the story, Abraham's, when he won the gold medal, he almost became depressed. And why? And people were wondering, why isn't he celebrating? Why isn't he partying? And, and, and the thing is, is that that was his God. It was the most important thing, the thing that defined him. And suddenly he got the gold medal and it's like, that doesn't satisfy. He took a good thing and he made it a God thing and it became a destructive thing. And meanwhile, you have someone else who had the same talent at the same thing, and he said, this isn't going to be a God thing. And you see, when Eric Little wins, un, you know, surprisingly, there was an incredible joy, there was incredible you know, celebration. Why? Because he had a good thing that didn't ever become a God thing, and then he was able to enjoy it in the full extent of what God desired. And my friend, Sabbath is a way of remembering not to make good things God things. It's keeping things in perspective. It's interesting, even again, when you read the history, after Little won the, the gold medal, he had, uh, you know, after all the controversy, and then he won this great surprise, he returned to England as a national hero. He had all kinds of opportunity to cash that into fame and money and, and position. But that wasn't his greatest love. Here he came as a national hero, and instead he turned his back on all that, and shortly after he went to a remote area in China where he served the rest of his life as a missionary because he had a greater love. And when asked about that, here's what he said. He said, many of us are missing something in life because we are after second best. And he's looking at it and saying, that's the contrast of these two men. 
is you have one who's missing something in life because he's after second best. He's after the gold medal, but that's second best. And he says, okay, I won the gold medal and I enjoyed it because I knew that was second best. And I realized that my greatest joy, my greatest competition, that the greatest thing that I was going to protect was my relationship with God. My friends, that's the relationship that God calls us to. 